welcome to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Warpy. I'm your co-host, Tanya Falkner. And I'm your co-host, Robert Rogi. And in this episode, it's going to be all about machine translation. And for this occasion, we invited the CEO of Globalese, which is Gabor Pechenier. Glad you can join us. Welcome, everybody. Gabor speaking here. So, Gabor, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, well, I'm actually an industry veteran, so I started as a translator, as a software localizer in 94 and went uh, for to SAP, where I was responsible for Hungarian localization and IT manager, internal IT manager. And uh, in 2001, I established uh, my own business focusing on software localization and language technology. And we always dealt with uh, machine translation. We started, to, you know, we made the typical steps. So first rule-based, we had a Hungarian-English rule-based uh, solution. Then we switched to the statistical, phrase-based, Moses-based solution. And now currently we have the, we are running on newer base. So that's the, and maybe just a few words about why I'm really enthusiastic in machine translation, because I like really the idea that such a really flexible and let's say human thing like the language can be converted into zeros and ones. And so I think this is a really very philosophical and then challenging question. And it looks like it can be. <laughs> so it's working somehow. Cool. Cool. What technology then is your NMT at Globalese based on? Like, is it based on research from Google or from Facebook? How did you put it together at Globalese? Yeah, it's not that simple. It's very, uh, you know, it's a very complex thing, uh, machine translation. Uh, so the toolkit itself is uh, open source, but we are always investigating which toolkit works, which, which toolkit is performing the best. It's not a secret. Currently, we are using Marian and MT as a basis, but a toolkit alone is just one of the components. Like in a car, if you have maybe the engine, but it's not even that big than an engine in a, in a car. So you have to do a lot of stuff around to get the system running. And maybe it's worth to mention too that basically the whole neural machine translation technology is really a, the history is is mostly based in, in the open source community, in the researchers and universities. So Google, Facebook and all the big companies, they basically just implemented what all these researchers uh, found and what they developed. So it's more, I think, if we have to praise anybody, then it's the really the open source community behind it. Well, it goes back a long ways, right? Like they invented oh, yes. neural networks in what was like the 70s or something? Basically, the concept as neural network uh, was already for machine translation was already mentioned in 97 as a possible technology. But at that time, uh, it was um, basically the conclusion was that it might work, but uh, it's simply too, it cannot be, uh, it cannot work for practical reasons. And uh, and this is basically, the, if you look at the history, so it, the first results came out in 2015 so about two, three years ago, and at that point, neural machine translation had uh, its, its handicaps, so it, it was not far not perfect. But what was very interesting already at that time, that the progress you could see was really fast. And in one year, just in one year, the improvements were so big that uh, they gained a better or higher improvement or uh, in one year than in statistical machine translation in the last uh, 15 years or something like this. So it's, it was, it's going really fast. And this is basically the fascinating thing about neural machine translation, that it's 
way more than just translation. It's basically really, in my opinion, or not my, it's not my opinion, it's basically a, everybody knows that or everybody is telling that that it's basically really an industrial revolution we are living in. And machine learning, AI, um, all those stuff, basically these are, the roots are the same, very similar to what we are doing in machine translation. So the concepts are really the same speech recognition or uh, any picture uh, conversion or uh, face recognition or any kind of conversions or any kind of recognition uh, is basically based on the same technology. And this is very interesting that it's have uh, source target segments on the uh, trading materials. This is just one small thing, but you can extend it. And uh, for example, you can create engines, combined engines, which where you for example, can feed pictures, and then if it's uh, if you see a wall, or if you have a sentence where the Berlin Wall is mentioned, or uh, any wall, and you show the picture where you have the Berlin Wall, then um, the engine can know. Okay, this this is now this should be translated now as uh, Mauer and not Wand if you speak in mm-hmm. German. So it's very interesting. So it's uh, or for example, there are researches that. Uh, the input can be a, a video and a description of the video. And if you train an engine with this training data, then you can have an engine which can identify what is happening on the video and give, can give you a description. So right. possibilities are really endless. Going back to the toolkit part, you mentioned that the actual NMT toolkit was just one component of several different components. So what are some of the most important components besides the toolkit? Yeah, there are tons of pre-processing steps you have to perform and tons of post-processing steps you have to perform and you have to create, let's say, a working environment. So, yeah, you can believe. So it's really, uh, let's say, we have a couple of menus in in our development. So, uh, and uh, and it's a never-ending story. So there are really, really many different things around and and things are i mean development is is really going that fast that uh, it's always yeah i i would say it's like uh, playing with lego elements so it's with uh, you have the different open source components you have your own proprietary components and then you put things together and build something totally new so this is how maybe i can explain it so what is the the how is it working so uh, yeah, actually, it's as I mentioned. So, it's if we speak about globally as a system, then the NMT toolkit is the, the engine, and maybe we have some uh, elements which come from other, let's say, providers, and then we have stuff we are building uh, by ourselves. So, it's it's really a mix, a combination, and it's pretty complex. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds very complex to be sure. <laughs> So actually, like we read before in an article that's later published last year, that neural machine translation reduces post-editing by 25%. So, I mean, it's definitely important and, you know, more and more people are using it. How do you think can people best make use or can companies best make use of NMT? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. So first of all, the productivity or what you can expect from machine translation, for neural machine translation, this is uh, not easy to answer. And uh, I would say that this 25% as an average number that uh, is, is a very close to, to reality, but I would say that it's somewhere between, it can be even higher. So it's, uh, on the other hand, you should not have too high expectations. So for example, I would say it's between 25 and 100%. So if you speak about productivity, so translation productivity, what we can really see at some of our users, that uh, translators are reporting now uh, a daily productivity 
from two, three thousand words to to five, six thousand words per day. But I think this is really the top, and this is then you then in this case you have a really well performing engine, and it's not always the case. So I mean, one hundred percent. So doubling the 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 performance is really already a very uh, good achievement. Uh, How many 25, words per day did you say again? Five to six thousand words. Right. Of course, as post-edited and and human quality outputs, so not raw machine translation or not uh, because there is uh, there are different options how you can use machine translation. Of course, you can in the the scenario I'm talking about is basically the scenario where you are using machine translation as a productivity tool, so it's just an additional help on top to the other resources like the translation memories or the glossaries or any other reference materials. And machine translation is basically very useful to fill those gaps which are not covered by uh, high fuzzy or perfect matches uh, in the translation memory. Because if you have anything in the translation memory, then it's uh, very likely the best suggestion for the translator. But for all the rest, uh, it's uh, machine translation can be used. So it's basically, in, as I see it, is basically a kind of intelligent uh, translation memory which can help you or help help translators to get hits in for those segments in the projects uh, which are not covered by high fuzzy matches or perfect matches. What do you think the best uh, implementation is exactly like within a cat tool for an MT? Like would it be MT as you type or would it be automatically filling in the segment with the MT result or just showing it as a suggestion? Like do you have any insights into what makes people more productive on a detailed level inside of the the cat environment? Yes, inside of the cat environment, basically, I would say on the long run, the ideal solution is for translators or will be if they will get really one combined hit, which is the best one. This can be from TM. This can come from uh, MT. This can be so. It's basically. Uh, the difference is compared to the current approach, uh, what is typical for what translators have in their environment, regardless what kind of environment, they have uh, several hits. They have, for example, reference TM, they have a master TM, then they have glossaries, they maybe have one then MT provider activated. I believe that the future is that all those sources will be combined, and this is maybe where AI will play a role to find the, really the best solution and and give the best uh, best uh, and only one hit for the translator because if you have as a translator 20 different uh, suggestions then it will not help you really so and this is sometimes a problem but all scenarios might can be valid i mean of course if you have a nice uh, because of predictive technology is very interesting uh, what you mentioned that uh, during typing uh, the suggestions are uh, changed dynamically uh, it's very interesting as a technology and might be very efficient, but also batch speed translation is a very valid scenario because depending on what kind of content you are translating, if you are translating hundred thousands of e-commerce content, then maybe batch translation is a better solution. If you are working on some flowing text or long text or document, a document, then might maybe the the online suggestion is working better. So it's. And of course, there are more different. So what I think what is interesting for LSPs in MT technology is that it can open uh, options to offer more services. So and uh, this is maybe one changes in the industry, which or in the mindset of the actors in the industry to identify that there are 
more options. So quality, quality is very a very interesting or challenging question. What is good quality? Because nowadays, I think it's more and more we have the trend that uh, quality is basically that which is fit for purpose. So, and you might have different purposes. So, for example, if you have a not frequently used page. In a knowledge base, then it might be enough uh, to have a, a raw machine translation output, and this is then good quality for, so it's fit for purpose. And of course, if you have some legal document, which, which is very important, uh, then of course, then you have to have full post editing, and then you might have uh, content types where uh, light, so-called light post editing is uh, enough. So we have now, I think, see this trend uh, that uh, we will have uh, differentiation in the quality levels. And this is a challenge for everybody, both for the buyers and also for the providers, how to define it, how to price it, how to measure it. It's it's not easy. It's not an easy question. And the other challenges on, let's say, on the machine translation side or the machine learning side is how to support all these uh, different, uh, so how to automate the, the quality measurements, for example, because this is still a challenge especially neural machine translation, you have very fluent output, but not necessarily good translation. So uh, it's really um, measuring quality is one of the, the uh, challenges which will be in focus of the, the development and research activities in the near future. How is this being measured now? Yeah, basically, I think there are two typical options, how you can measure if you speak about how to compensate translators, so how to measure the efficiency of, of an engine, the two options are uh, to measure the time effort, so how fast the translator can work uh, with or without machine translation. And the other option is to have an edit to, to measure the edit distance. So to compare the difference between the machine translation output and the and the post-edited confirmed segment. And both methods have their own advantages and disadvantages, and both of them have one big disadvantage, that they, and this is one key problem, that uh, the values are only available after the project. So, and of course, in a real-life scenario, all the buyers, they would like to see or they would like to get the quotes uh, already in, the, in advance. And this is uh, where uh, quality estimation for neural machine, not only for neural machine translation, for machine translation in, in, in general, is something which will be very important. But quality estimation, which means measuring quality without any existing reference, this is highly complicated. And I think even, I would say, impossible. <laughs> and hmm. So you can get closer. Yeah, if you imagine that even if you have two different post editors or two, two different proofreaders, they will proofread or change or deliver documents in two different ways. So you will never have the same translation at the same time. So even if it's human post editing or, or proofreading, and uh, what would you say about machine translation? So to predict the quality mm -hmm. uh, without any reference is very, very challenging stuff because the problem is if you can judge the quality, then you don't have to produce the wrong output. So mm -hmm. uh, you understand because if you know already that this is wrong, this will be wrong, then, then you already know how to avoid it. But mm -hmm. of course, if you have some wrong output, then the it was because you could not avoid it. So it's it's a challenge. But of course, there are different methods and there are different ways how you can uh, predict uh, quality. And they are also depending on the circumstances, what kind of projects, what content type, etc., what language combinations you are dealing with. They are uh, in many cases pretty close to reality or let's say the average is good. 
But it will never be perfect, or at least in the near future, it will not be perfect. This is my personal opinion. Yeah, this paradox with the judging of the quality of MT using MT, I've always thought the same thing. And I always wondered, like, how are, how are they trying to do that? Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here. And we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about WordBee Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics. And it's been around for 10 years, so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Wordbee Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. So I was, I was going to move on and ask the next question. Globalese, as I understand it, people can use their own corporas. So they're, in fact, they're supposed to use their own corporas. And so we were wondering, like, in the total landscape of MTs, like you have uh, large MTs like Microsoft or Google, and then you have like Globalese where it's more about like using specific corporas and stuff like that, right? And we were wondering if you could like explain a little bit about this landscape and about the corporas and about globalese and and how clients should use it yes basically the situation is that with globalese we are focusing on custom engines and why we have a couple of reasons for it before i start to explain this maybe it's it's good to talk a little bit about what is influencing the quality of, of machine translation and one more very important influencing factor is the size of the trading data you have and the other very important factor is the quality of the training data you have. Because there is one fact that no engine in the world can produce anything which is not somehow incorporated into the training data, which is not part of the engine. And quality is also, translation quality or, or the success of an engine is also always in relationship with the content you would like to use it for translation. So just as an example, if you have a generic engine like Google or Bing or all these big guys, they are doing pretty well job on, on uh, any generic content or even if it's slightly specific, they, it might work well. But uh, you can al always uh, have or can reach points where you need specific terminology, specific style, specific content. And in this case, generic engine might fail. So if you like to apply generic content, then maybe, or if you would like to translate a generic content, then a generic engine might perform better. But if the content is really specific, then a custom engine, which is really tailored on, on a specific domain or specific content, the custom engine might perform better. And it's basically the concept how we doing this is basically following. So our users, they have all their own TMs uh, with their own content. Uh, for example, if you are 
software company, you have your product documentation uh, or end user help translated over the years. And with Globalis, you can create an engine where you can set your own TMs uh, in the focus of the engine. The method is called uh, automated in-domain adaptation. And you can add some generic data just to extend the language knowledge of the engine. But uh, the main and the more imp most important stuff will be in your, in your own high-quality in-domain TM, like your, this product documentation. And during the training, the terminology, the style, and all the, let's say, the linguistic content in your own TM will have higher priority. And this is basically, then the result will be an engine which will focusing on your own content and which will perform pretty well in translation projects which are performed for this kind of content. Of course, they will fail if you would like to try some different content, for example, marketing, uh, and you have a, an, an IT uh, end-user documentation, then it's, uh, this engine will not perform well on marketing stuff, but it will perform very well on, on your own content. So this is the basic concept. Mm -hmm. So when you train your NMT, can you just stick anything in it and basically make it a know-everything kind of thing? Or why would you not do that? You can do that. I mean, it's it's depending really on... Uh, it's and balance acts to find the right uh, content, the right mix, and to choose the right focus. You can create a uh, generic engine and put everything, and this will put uh, millions of segments because there are a lot of public corpora available and on different open source platforms, so that's that's not a problem. And of course, our users are using this public corpora to extend the engine. And you can create, with Globalis, you can create a generic engine, but the problem is that uh, let's assume so. Even even your machine translation is is based on frequency, occurrence, and probability. So you know the the connection between the different nodes, the association between the source targets fragments is is basically based on the frequency of of the, and the occurrence uh, of a term. And if you have a term which is uh, occurring more in a in a generic training data than in your own, and and this which is different used differently in your own TM. If you don't make this automatic in-domain adaptation, if you if you are creating just one big engine, then you will lose this information. Then the the terminology with a higher occurrence will win finally. Uh, and this is basically general. Uh, so this is because this is one of the typical questions if you speak about neural machine translation that terminology cannot be influenced directly. It can be influenced only indirectly. So you cannot add the glossary list and then tell the engine, okay, I would like to translate everything based on this glossary because this is not the way how a neural machine translation or neural networks can work. You can do some adjustment in the post-editing phase or the post-processing, sorry, post-processing phase, but not directly in the translation. Mm -hmm. And this way, so basically how you can achieve, uh, so how you can keep terminology, how you can prioritize terminology in different contents. This is in Globalis achieved by this automatic in-domain adaptation. Users can select those TMs which are the important ones, which, which are the master TMs. And then the engine will be basically trained around this content. Right. So does it mean that, like in general, you'd rather have more NMTs in order not to mix up like your the, your gems that it's based on? But you can actually choose that in Globalis. 
Yes, exactly. That's the typical case. So what we are recommending, that's, uh, and we are even recommending to try, it's really depending on the project type and content type. So in, in some cases, it's easier or better to choose, simply choose a generic engine because the content is really generic. And in some other cases, it's really much more efficient or you can get better results if you have a really domain-specific or even product-specific engine. And uh, yeah, it's uh, so we always encourage our users to to try always choose the right engine for the right job. So that's the basic concept because I believe that even if, of course, engine quality, so generic engines are really good, but there will be never one engine which can do everything in the world because there will be always special content specific styles so small differences you know language is really highly complex and and i believe that it's not possible to cover everything with one engine due to the complexity of the language mm -hmm. so does that really affect the way the mt market is playing out today then so like it it must open up opportunities for providers like globalese but also other mt providers that are specializing in particular language combinations or domains right Yes, exactly. And this is basically this customization. This is one of the, let's say, main research areas in, in, in neural machine translation nowadays, how to create engines which are really focusing on, on how, how you can keep the style, keep the terminology, how you can force the engine to work in a very specific way. This is This is one of the interesting research fields. And of course, there are different solutions and different options how you can do it. And I'm sure that this field uh, will improve over the time. So this, this is something which is uh, one of the most important areas, researching areas for the future. So when we talk about the quality of an empty engine, is it only influenced then by like what you put into it for training or are there other factors as well? Yes, besides uh, volume and uh, quality, because quality, of course, is very important. So, you know, garbage in, garbage out. The engine can be trained only on the data which is uh, added by the, so which is in the TM, let's say that way. But there are others, still some other influencing factors. Uh, for example, the still language combination has an impact on the on the results. So especially if you speak about English on, on one side of the language combinations, as the, here the rule is that, um, or let's say the, the experience is that uh, Latin languages, French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, they are performing pretty well combined with English and languages like the German or Nordic languages, they are somewhere in the middle and then the most challenging languages are Japanese or Asian languages. Russian, Turkish, Hungarian, for example, Finnish, so all the, all the Slavic languages, they are really challenging for neural NT if we have English on the other side. Oh, they're uh, really challenging for me, too. Like, <laughs> I'm learning Croatian, it's very hard. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, but this is basically depending on the language structure. And of course, one of the interesting uh, research fields is how to fill the uh, trading data gap. You know, there are some different uh, options for that. So for using some interlingua, for example, uh, yes, or, or like English. So because the problem is that say 99% of the language data nowadays is available from or into English. But if you speak about language combinations like uh, Croatian into Portuguese, then this is definitely a challenge. And there's still, I think the, the, the quality here is really 
not sufficient currently simply due to the fact that there is no not enough segments available for for those language combinations but this will change over the time i i believe so it's it's there are several approaches how to solve this problem and who knows maybe we can we will move back again at some point back to the good old rule based so rule based just as an example that ai will be able to learn the language rules automatically because rule based is fine the only problem with rule based is that maintaining the rules is really time-consuming and, and it requires a lot of work. But if this can be done by machines, then why not? So who knows? Right. That's an interesting thought, going back to where it started, basically. I think at some point we will come. It's, it's You know, it's always, so just to give you an example, you asked in the previous question or some, one of your questions was what other components we have. So just as an example, for Japanese, you need some language-specific component, which is called a parser, because in Japanese you have no word separator, so there's no space between the words. Mm-hmm. And you have to identify somehow the, the, the words. So what is a word? And for this, you need a parser. So that means that to process Japanese language content or prepare it for machine translation, you need some kind of language-specific knowledge. And this is already something which is, of course, it's not exactly what we call rule-based, but this is, uh, let's say, language-specific. It's, it requires, it's, it's really just related for uh, to Japanese and nothing else. So right. already now we have some language-specific components in the neural MT technology. And uh, so it's it's always a a kind of combination and maybe hybrid system, hybrid system. So it's very interesting what the future will bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting now too, just with the technologies being developed with English as their focus. I mean, so I'm I'm from the US, but I live in, in Europe and I have for a long time. And and it's super weird because I go home and, uh, you know, everyone is talking to their phone or they're talking to their computer or they're talking to the Alexa thing or the new Google one that just came out for the house, you know, like they're really doing it. Like the Americans, they really use the speech recognition and they they use Siri all the time, for example. And then you, you know, you go back to Europe and I, I don't ever <laughs> see anybody talking to their phones. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. That's true. Yeah, and, and even more oh, very interesting is that how good speech recognition is that, for example, if, if we at sometime in Sevilla, it was at uh, one of the conferences, we tried Google Talk and, and the pronunciation was, I think, uh, there, there was a Spanish name uh, in, in the question and it could even recognize this, uh, let's say, very strange Spanish pronunciation, which we asked. So it's, it's, it's really amazing. Hmm. They should put that in the, um, you know, in the directions or whatever, so it can read the street names correctly when you're driving. (laughs) 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 So what do you think, what do you suggest that localization managers are looking for from a machine translation provider? Uh, basically, it's. I, I would say that it's always worth to look at different options. I mean, it's not. I, I believe that at least nowadays there's not one only and best solution for machine translation. And depending on the project type, the content type, language combination, uh, etc., different providers might provide. So you you might uh, have different providers even for the same project probably. So. I would recommend to always to to check and and to try which gives you the best results and it's also important to have a clear expectation so what what you want from MT so what is your target 
use it as an internal productivity tool, use it uh, as an option to offer more services, for example, raw machine translation. And it's also very important to create an environment, I mean, not only technical environment, but uh, also an, an ecosystem of where machine translation is really a, a benefit for everybody in your ecosystem. So both for your customers or also for your translators and of course for yourself, uh, that's the most important. But everybody should somehow benefit, otherwise it will not be accepted. So this is my personal opinion. And maybe this is one of the challenges, how to create a, a good model, business model and processes to, to integrate machine translation mm. and to find a really good solution, which is then where everybody can benefit. So this, I think this is uh, worth to invest some uh, right. some time to check what are the what is the best for you and for for your customer and then right. uh, and and also spend some time to let the translators get familiar with with the process and with the outputs so you shouldn't expect in a very short time a very big improvement but it should be a step by step process this is my mm -hmm. recommendation well, we're, uh, you know, for the listeners, we didn't really say this yet, but, um, you know, we're super pleased to have uh, Globalese be part of the, the WordBee platform. And so what I, what I find interesting, too, about what you said is like, it depends a lot on your TMS that you're using as well, or your CAT tool and how, how it all pieces together. You know, just about WordBee specifically, I, I think a lot of people don't maybe know about it, but we have this thing called MT Hive, you know, like Beehive. And it's pretty cool because what it does is it's like you have like an order portal, basically, where like it could be if you're an LSP, it could be your customer. But if you're an enterprise, it could just be someone who needs a translation that works at your company and they can upload their their files and then they can get the machine translation directly. So if, if you have, for example, Globalese in there. Um, then they could, you know, get their Globalese machine translation directly in the order portal part and then they can look at that and, and maybe that's enough for them you know because it could be an mm -hmm. internal document it could be whatever you know there's also an outlook integration there's an ms word integration and and then if they need a post editing then they can select post editing and then kick a job off but it, it's pretty cool because it gives the an additional workflow option where it's like, okay, I need a translation. First, I'm going to look at the machine translation output. Maybe that's good enough for me. If it's not, then I can, you know, actually order the the post editing. I'm not sure if I, I think it's a good example of a of a way to apply a machine translation in a way that works for customers that's dependent on the TMS that you're using. Yeah, I think this is a very great example for, and I would say very future-oriented uh, way how customers uh, will use uh, services from LSPs in the future. Exactly what you mentioned, that mm. you have a platform, you have a portal, and you can request different service levels. Maybe it's just an ad hoc translation, raw machine mm -hmm. translation output. And then you can go further and further. And if you need, okay, this is not uh, for my fit for purpose. Yeah, what we talked about is this fit for purpose. So mm -hmm. if this is not good enough for me now, then or for my right. for my uh, purpose, then I go and can go and request additional services. Right. And it's funny because you said it's the future, you know. But it, <laughs> like I guess that's why we're doing these podcasts and stuff because uh, you know a lot of people don't know about MT Hive. This thing that we made was I think it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been, it's like, you know, the future has been around for a while, but I'm yeah, not yeah, sure people are using it. 
Yes, but I think this is more in the in the mindset of the people. Then, so some options are already there, but people just don't realize how they can be used the most efficient way. So that's right. Well, for WordV too, I think, and Tanya knows this because we work together every day. But you know, for us, it's largely a communication challenge too, like educating prospects and customers about different strategies they can use and localization and stuff. So how do you communicate with with your prospects and customers? Like, how do you try to explain to them the different things that they could be doing? And is it difficult sometimes? Yes, that's a good question, because it's always the balance between easy to use and flexibility. So and we always try to keep globally. It, it's very easy to create an engine and uh, it's basically um, if you are a project manager then you can create an engine with globalese but of course uh, depending on the tms the content you have it might be uh, also a little bit complex so uh, i i mean that's too complex but you have to uh, i think content management is the key here so you, you have to know what content you are using for your engine and what content should be applied. And then this requires some, so technically the technical uh, handling globally is, is basically very straightforward. Uh, we don't need any communication or it's maybe one tutorial session or something like this, but we always keep an eye on and we, we try to help our users to create or to get the best results with their content because this can be sometimes challenging. Uh, so we recommend to extend the data or sometimes it's even better to reduce the data depending on what results you would like to, uh, so what the purpose of the engine. So it's basically an ongoing process and uh, yeah, and challenging. Yeah, that's true. Do you find that a lot of customers, like basically they don't have their content categorized in any way that can be, be useful for the training, so they just put it all in? Or like how should enterprises be trying to categorize their content and manage their content so they know what's what? I think the key here is uh, metadata. So you should have as many metadata in your TM as possible. So um, the product line, then uh, versions, then uh, projects, and any any additional information you might have, tool, tool version, so whatever you should add it as an additional information into your, uh, or to your TM. That's the key to, and this is for the future because uh, then uh, this will enable you to create really the right data set for training purposes. Uh, whatever your uh, empty system you are using, training data will be always uh, one of the most important success factors. So are the world's largest enterprises doing like massive metadata projects now where they're going back and looking in through all of their data and adding missing metadata? Yeah, both, both. So again, cleanup actions and uh, there are all, uh, very nice automated options, how you can clean up, how you can leverage, how you can analyze your data. So there's, yeah, so in both directions, both for existing data to do some, some cleanup and to organize the data in a proper way, but it's already uh, there. And of course, it's very important to set up a strategy how to handle the, the data which is created currently and which will be, be created in the future. Hmm. I've asked too many questions in a row. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. That's okay. okay. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I am out of questions, really. Um, yeah. yeah. I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, I did too. It was a really great conversation. You know, I hope that 
because we don't really know exactly who listens to the podcast, right? Like some people listening might be, you know, experts and other people might be just now considering to get into MT. So I think we covered a little bit of everything, you know, hopefully people will find it interesting no matter what, how knowledgeable they are already. That sounds good. You just really wrapped this up great. So thanks, Gabor, for joining us. And that was another episode of the International Bus Podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. And thanks, everybody. Sign up for Global Ease <laughs> and WordBee. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thank guys. you. All right. Bye-bye.